Hey, we are so thankful that you're taking the time to tune into Grumwatt Church's podcast. It's our hope that this is an encouragement to you as you draw closer to Jesus. If you'd like to find out more about all things Grumwatt or for more info on our in-person gatherings, you can check us out at grumwatt.com. Now lean in. We're expectant for how God is going to use this time to speak to you today. My first job out of college was working at a camp down in Vermilion, Ohio called Beulah Beach, right on the, the shores of Lake Erie. Uh, and the second summer that I was there, we, we hired a new maintenance director, a guy that's still a friend to this day by the name of, of Tom Schmidt. And as it would turn out, he would end up moving into his home right there on the camp property during our first week of staff training when about 80 college students would descend onto this property uh, that in just about a month's time would be serving as counselors and activity staff. And so as you can imagine, there's like a lot of energy happening on, on the property. And uh, on that particular day that, that Tom was moving in, we, we got in contact with a family member that was going to be helping them, and me and the other program director, my best friend, a guy by the name of Joel, we decided that we were going to surprise Tom and not only welcome him to his new home and his new job, but we were also going to help them unload that moving truck, hopefully in record time. And so we got that text, and we quickly got the entire staff together, and we kind of walked in unison, like army style, towards his house, singing the national anthem to the tune of Tom. If you have no idea what that means, we were singing, Tom, 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 Tom. Tom, 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 and, and, and on it went all the way to the end. And once we arrived on his front lawn again, there were about 80, 100 college students standing there. We, we finished up our rendition of the national anthem, and then we let him and his wife know, hey, we, we are here to, to help you unload this moving truck and all these other vehicles that are, that are strown across uh, your front lawn right now. Uh, and as it would turn out, we would unload that moving van. Uh, we would unload all of those vehicles in under 15 minutes. Everything was out and in the proper rooms where it belonged in, in less than 15 minutes. And needless to say, as I'm sure you would be as well, to Tom and his wife, Nicole, they, they were speechless. That this group of college students whom we've never met in our lives, they just did all of this for, for us? So see, up to that moment, Tom and his wife, Nicole, they, they had been hoping, I think it's probably part of the reason that he took the job, but, but that afternoon they were shown, this group of people, they, they are for you. It was just several months ago that a, that a couple who, who calls this church home, in fact, they were actually part of the launch team, uh, that group of people who, who literally helped to get this church off the ground. Their names are Kirk and Emily. Uh, they were beginning to walk down this path of adoption. They had one biological child, sweet baby Hudson, and uh, God started, you know, kind of pinging on their heartstrings and said, and started nudging and saying like, hey, it's, it's time for you to consider this whole adoption thing. And so they started raising money and walking through those doors. And any of you who have walked through the adoption process, you know, there are these intense highs but there are also these lows as well. And so they would get their hopes up and then be let down, hopes up, back down again. And then they finally got the call. And before they knew it, they were on a flight down to Florida, ready to meet their second child, baby Luke. And while they were gone, their connect group actually at this church, uh, they got their heads together and they said, hey, wouldn't it be really, really great when, when they return home if there was just basically a bunch of stuff waiting for them that they're gonna need for this baby? Things like diapers and, and wipes and formula and, and clothes and some of the favorites for the family. And so uh, the Connect group kind of broke into their home and, and they returned home, as you can see, to literally a living room full of all those things, as, as my wife so eloquently put it. Well, let's give them a baby shower without all those stupid games and a bunch of people invading their home. I think we all know now where my wife stands on, on baby showers. Right? They walked in and they said, our, our friends did all of this for, for us? 
I'd like to think that Kirk and Emily already had a pretty decent idea, but that day it was only further galvanized how for you their, their friends are. Let me give you a, a little bit more of a personal example. Uh, it, it was last summer. Uh, my family, if you know us, we, we love being out on the water. We love lakes and all that pure Michigan has to offer in that regard. And um, unbeknownst to me, what was brewing behind the scenes was John, who is our worship pastor uh, at our Grand Blanc campus and a dear friend of my wife and I. Uh, he had kind of taken note of a boat that was kind of slowly <laughs> deteriorating and, and rotting in a person's backyard that was on like one of his regular drives. And he thought to himself, hey, if that, that boat ever goes for sale, uh, I'm going to buy that thing. And, and wouldn't you know it, as luck would turn out, that the boat ends up popping up on Marketplace and, and John buys it, but, but not for himself. He, he would buy the boat and spent countless hours restoring that thing. And, and eventually, as you can see here, he would gift it to my wife and I and for, for our family. And, and needless to say, I, I was speechless, especially after seeing those before and after pictures. I mean, he did all this for me, for my family, I mean, it was honestly less about the money and, and just more about, about the time. See, I already knew that, that John and Maddie gave, gave a rip about me and my family, but that day it was only further solidified just how for me my, my friend is. And, and hopefully we, we all have examples like these from our own lives. Maybe it's a friend who jumps right in without hesitation to help you move. Maybe it's a timely letter when you could really use a word of encouragement. Maybe it's a text message with absolutely no agenda, just, just some kind words to brighten your day. Maybe it's a gift you receive out of the blue. I mean, it's not Christmas, it's not your birthday, just someone who was shopping and thought of you and said, hey, I'm, I'm going to buy this for you. Maybe it's a parent who actually picks up the phone and just listens to their son, to their daughter vent. Maybe it's a neighbor who pops over and helps you with the landscaping. Those moments, and admittedly, we're pretty poor at taking the time to do what I'm about to describe, that they're so sobering, where we pause to admire what just took place and reflect, like, I can't believe that he, I can't believe that she did that for me. That when you tell other people about it, that they're almost suspicious. They're thinking to themselves, like, he, she did all of that for you? But it's even deeper than that, right? As, as I've already alluded to, it's, it's those moments where, where you recognize and you come to realize just how for you that person or that group of people are. But, but what's behind all of that? What is it that, that, that makes those moments significant? That, that, that separates those moments, those events from, from just all the other stuff that, that happens in our lives, that, that makes those moments stand out in our minds, that, that, that elevates those moments? Where, where, where there's a greater propensity to return to those memories, to almost like cling to them. Where, where, where at times they, they almost serve as a, as a sort of lifeline. See, see what's lingering beneath the surface, what, what separates those moments, those memories, those events from the ordinary is, is sacrifice. You, you recognize that, that those individuals, that person sacrificed something for, for you. And it's actually even that much more significant when, when that sacrifice in no way tangibly benefits them. It is 100% for you. See, it's, it's not a sacrifice with a catch. And you know what I'm talking about, right? It's not the, I did something for you, so, so now you owe me one. My, my precious daughter, Logan, don't you dare say ah right now. She is way more sinister than that picture would lead you to believe. 
But my daughter Logan is becoming a master at this, especially as it relates to her little baby brother, Oakley, who's only three years old. She loves to let Oakley play with, with one of her toys so that Oakley will only release his grip on the toy that, that she actually wants. And we've all seen this playing out before, right? Like she notices that, that Oakley has something that she really wants. And she knows that she can't just walk over and, and rip it out of his hands because he, he will alert Andrea and I and let us know that like, hey, she just took this from me. So, so she has to be, again, more, more sinister than that. So what she does is she'll go over and, and pick up a different toy, a, a toy that nobody ever plays with, like a McDonald's toy. And she'll intentionally get really snug and close to, to Oakley and be like, oh, look at this toy. Isn't this nice? Ooh, this is so much fun, right? She's really hyping it up because she knows it's only a matter of time until Oakley, again, as innocent as Ian, leans in and says, sissy, I have that. And then she's like, oh, well, we can trade. And of course, he willingly makes the trade. It's a sacrifice with a catch. And, and, and come on, we laugh at that. But, but there are plenty of adults who are watching right now who do the exact same crap. It's like, sure, you, you can borrow my truck, but the next time I want to borrow your boat, I will be reminding you of this moment. It's like, oh my gosh, you got me that, that Starbucks just because you love me? How thoughtful. Three hours later, so we got this little fundraiser event coming up. Or, sure, honey, let's, let's have a date night tonight. You can order whatever you want. I mean, you want to get the dessert, go for it. Another cocktail, why not? You, you want to watch the same rom-com for the 10th time while we cuddle in that position where my arm falls asleep? That sounds delightful. But the minute that those credits roll on that movie, we are going into the bedroom and... I, I know, sorry, this is a family Christmas service. We laugh, but every single dude who is watching right now knows exactly what I'm talking about. It's, it's a sacrifice with, with a catch. And, and, and we're honestly about as sly and sneaky with this stuff as my six-year-old daughter. See, nothing more greatly demonstrates just how for you someone is than the, than the sacrifice with no strings attached. It, it does not in any way tangibly benefit that person. They're never going to get that time back. They're never going to get that money back. I mean, they're not ever going to bring it up again. I mean, they're not expecting anything in return. In fact, they'd be sort of offended if you even attempted to return the favor. It's those examples that I listed at the beginning. Their only motivation was, I care about this person, so I'm going to do something that requires something from me, but will ask nothing from them. The driving force beneath the surface that, no, you can't see, but you can certainly feel, I mean, it's palpable, is sacrificial love. I mean, after all, love devoid of some level of sacrifice? I mean, could, could you even appropriately label it as, as love? Isn't sacrifice sort of what makes love love? For instance, early on in my relationship with my now wife, Andrea, I certainly sensed that, that she loved me, that she cared about me. But, but how was it shown to me? Not, not to be crass, but how did she prove it? It's not a trick question. It was by what she was willing to sacrifice for me. Her, her time, her, her resources, her money, her energy, her emotion. See, you can tell me over and over and over and over again that you love me, but eventually, I'm going to see that love. I'm going to want you to show me. As the phrase goes, talk is cheap. Love is shown by what we're willing to sacrifice. 
And until someone is willing to do something for you that requires something from them but asks nothing in return, you ought to be dubious of how much they love you. You ought to be suspicious of just how for you that person is. And today I'm going to ask every single person who is watching right now to consider something that that perhaps you've never considered before. And, And honestly, you're already watching right now, so practically speaking, what do you have to lose? I recognize right now that there are people watching who, who don't really want to be watching. You got bribed, you were forced, you were guilted. This is just something that we do on Christmas. But, but my point being, you're already sitting here. So, so why not lean into this a little bit more than you perhaps originally intended to? I would propose that you have nothing to lose. I mean, you're already losing this hour of your life. Maybe there's more for you here today than, than you thought. I want each of you to consider that God is more for you than you can possibly imagine. That that the God of the universe is absolutely crazy about you. That that more than anything else, he just wants you. And and in fact, he's gone to enormous lengths to demonstrate that to you. So, So you never have to doubt that. There's a pretty solid chance that a good number of you who are watching right now, you have a version of God floating around in your head who is all judgment, and really, he kind of wants to keep you from having fun. He's sort of on this power trip, and he, and he gets a kick out of making your life miserable. Or, or perhaps he's sort of this version of your earthly father who is incredibly disappointed in you and the decisions that you've made, and, and you're on this never-ending quest to win his approval. And I'm asking you to consider today that 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 God doesn't exist. That God is the figment of our religious imaginations. That God is simply a more grandiose version of what we've experienced in this world and therefore transposed onto God. But in reality, God is, he's none of that. And here's how I can be sure of that. I know those are lies about God. I'm 100% positive that God is for you because of what he did for you. The, the, the sacrifice that he made for you. The, the sacrificial love that was modeled for you when, when he gave. That this is how God loved the world. He, he gave his one and only son. But, but allow me to ever so slightly tweak this to better capture God's heart for, for you. For, for this is how God loved you. He, he gave his one and only son. See, see, God is so crazy about you. He so desperately wants to be close to you that, that he freely gave you his, his one and only son. And, and what most of us fail to come to grips with was, was how utterly destitute we were before God came to our rescue. See, every single one of us, we, we have this nagging sin problem that, that we have no ability to rectify on our own. And And if this feels now like I'm embarking upon some religious tangent, I challenge you just honestly to look at your own life. In fact, perhaps you'll be more self-reflective if I use softer language than than sin problem. Uh, Let's put it this way. We we can't get out of our own way. That is, we do things all the time that almost immediately afterwards, we think to ourselves, what in the heck did I do that for? What is wrong with me? We all, both Christians and non-Christians alike, we have a propensity to make decisions that that not only aren't best for the people around us, I mean, they're not even best for us. We, we routinely and regularly make decisions that, that undermine our futures, 
that, that lead to regret, shame, embarrassment, that, that hurt us and, and the people around us, namely the people we care about the most. And, and God, this, this book that we call the Bible, Scripture would tell us that's that nagging sin problem. And guess what? You're not ever solving that problem on your own. And, and not to keep piling on, I, I know it's, it's Christmas, but I promise this has the best ending imaginable. Not only does, does sin hurt you and the people around you, in one fell swoop, it fractured your relationship with God. So, honestly, destitute doesn't even really begin to capture the essence of our state without God's intervention. Again, you're going to have to forgive me if this sounds crass, but, but I feel like it most appropriately captures our condition. We're, we're sort of screwed. And, and to tease this out a little further, I think we forget that God had a decision to make in this moment. See, those in particular who grew up going to church, we just assumed that this was like God's only choice. But, but, but let us make no mistake about it. God had a decision to make. Do I come to their rescue or, or do I leave them to, to their own destruction? And, and by there, I'm talking about you and, and me. And by destruction, I mean not only the negative consequences, the implications to our lives in the here and the now, but also eternal separation from our creator, eternal separation from, from God himself. Yet God could have just as easily chosen the self-destruction path, hung an out-of-order sign on this earth and walked away. He could have resolved to apathy and said, you got yourselves into this mess and it is now on you to dig yourself out of this mess. But, but he didn't. God instead chose the, the rescue option. Why? Be- because he is for you. Because he loves you that much. See, see, what we've grown accustomed to in this life in our eye-for-an-eye, tit-for-tat culture is, I'm going to do something for you in, in light of what you've done for me. Because you have done X for me, I will now do Y for you. But, but God comes along and he flips the entire paradigm on this. God says, I'm going to do something for you in spite of, of what you've done for me. See, see, you and I, we've done nothing but rebel. We can't stop sinning. We abuse God's kindness. We abuse his grace. We ignore. We are defiant in our sin. We plan our sin. And, and how did God respond to all of that? To, to our blatant disregard for what is true and what is right and what is best? He responded with the most audacious display of love that this world has ever or will ever see. He responded with a sacrificial love that we're never going to be able to fully get our heads around. About 2,000 years ago, he gave. The God of the universe freely delivered his one and his only son into a manger for you. I'm going to do something for you in spite of what you've done for me. Or to again steal John's words, God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Not that we loved God, not in light of what we have done for him, No, no, in spite of what we've done for and and to him. God is more for you than you can possibly imagine. 
And how do we know that? Because of what he sacrificed. And as we talked about, not a sacrifice with a catch. As many of you have experienced both inside and and outside the church, it's a sacrifice with absolutely no strings attached. In fact, it's actually better than that. It's a sacrifice with an invitation, an opportunity, a bonus. It's the, this was already the greatest day of my life, and now you're telling me there's more? I mean, it's like the best meal of your life, and then when you ask for the check, you're told it's already been taken care of. It's the, we just got back from our two-week-long honeymoon, but then we got exposed to COVID on the way home in the airport, and now we don't have to go to work for another 10 days? It's the last Christmas present, but then mom and dad tell you to close your eyes, there's one more. On Christmas each year, we celebrate the sacrificial love that was shown to us some 2,000 years ago. The, the, the love that came down in spite of us. The love that was freely given. The, the love with absolutely no strings attached. But, but even better, wait. There's, there's more. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. Our Redeemer, our, our Rescuer had arrived. But, but you have to imagine sort of a bittersweet moment for God. Because the Father knew what lay in store for his one and his only Son. The Father knew just how far the sacrificial love would go. That eventually that baby boy wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger would be brutally tortured, beaten, and nailed to a cross covered in his own blood and the saliva of other men. God knew on that very first Christmas that he would eventually, willingly, lovingly exchange his son for your sin. And this brings us to the weight. There's there's more. For, For this is how God loved you. He gave his one and only son so that, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Simply by believing, by placing our trust in the redemptive work of Jesus, we can get that right standing back with God. That the right standing that, that, that we screwed up. I'm going to ask you, wherever you're watching from right now, to just bow your head. Because I know that there are people who are watching right now who have never placed their trust in Jesus. And I'm trusting that the Holy Spirit is speaking to some of you right now. It's really hard for us to get our heads around the fact that the Most High God would make the standard so simple. That the way that you would get that right standing back or declared righteous, that's the churchier word for it. It doesn't have to do with anything that you've done who you're married to, how you usually celebrate Christmas, and instead it has everything to do with faith, trust, belief. Do you believe that the God of the universe freely offered up his one and his only son for you? That that on Christmas he was given to us in a manger, and after living a pretty short amount of time on this earth, after living that perfect life, the life that was was meant for us, he, he offered his life on a cross for you and I took upon the penalties of of death on his shoulders so that you and I don't have to. But then three days later, he rose from the grave. He conquered death, and with it, 
your sin and, and my sin so that now we might experience that eternal life. And we are told that by placing our trust in Jesus, just like that, we're back. That right standing is restored. And it could be as simple as you right now, wherever you're watching that, just crying out and saying, Heavenly Father, I know I can't get it together on my own. I know that I am a sinner. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe in your redemptive work on this earth. I believe in your redemptive work on that cross. Today, on Christmas of 2022, I choose to put my trust in you. And from this day forward, I will live for you. Amen. And again, we're told that just like that, you're back. The God of the universe loves you so much that he freely exchanged his son for your sin. That, that's how much he wants to win you back. That, that's how for you he is. I mentioned at the beginning of this message that we all should be dubious of just how much someone proclaims to love you unless they're willing to sacrifice. Unless they're willing to sacrifice something for, for you. A, a sacrifice with, with absolutely no strings attached. And 2,000 years ago, God didn't sacrifice something he sacrificed everything. And he did it for, for you. He would have given his son in that manger and later on the cross if it was just you. He is more for you than you could possibly imagine.